today is not just a uh, unique-esque service because we are outdoors. However, a couple years ago, this was not unique. Uh, this was the norm. Uh, but this is not just unique because we're doing a throwback for outdoor gatherings just because of the sake of people like, why do we do this? Two reasons. Uh, we get a decent amount of demand of like people just being like, you know, really enjoyed kind of like the being outdoors in the summer, you know, all that stuff. Second of all, it is hot as... I just edited myself. Um, hot as something in the in the sanctuary, and uh, it just you know is actually cooler out here. So doesn't matter even if you're baking in the sun in ten minutes, it is cooler out here. Um, hot as the desert. Thank you, Quinn. There we go. <laughs> All right. Uh, so it's it's that, but it's also what we call we've done a couple times throughout the years here uh, called corporate encouragement Sunday, meaning that. Uh, no one stands up here primarily and teaches. I'm going to set things up, but after that, I am going to, we're going to open up the microphone, which we have. I was kind of hoping we could do this without a microphone. If you're willing and feel like you have a loud voice at that point to speak without a microphone and be more inclined to speak if you weren't speaking into a microphone, then great. If you are a soft talker, then use the microphone uh, because the encouragement is for everyone and not just for the uh, six people in your immediate radius. Uh, but... Also, we will say we're not putting this, uh, we'll put my setup on for the podcast and for uh, YouTube, everything else we're going to cut from both YouTube and the podcast. So this is just, the spirit only works in live time, I believe. I don't believe, if the spirit wants to magnify so what you say and put it on the internet, even though we cut it, then that's obviously the miracle that the spirit has done. And therefore, you were speaking truly in his name and we will there, I don't know what we'll do after that point. We'll give you, you know, an ice cream cone or something next week. And, uh, and so when we have the podcast slash the YouTube teaching up. You will not, uh, basically, you can uh, speak freely in the spirit uh, and not be afraid in 10 years someone holds you accountable for something you, mi you missaid or stumbled over or whatever. So we just want to make that clear. I also want to make clear, uh, just as a way of setup, let me just set up for about five minutes and then we'll jump in. Um, the normal American church experience that we do typically, either in there or out here, with one person primarily teaching and that being the both the pinnacle and the central movement of the gallery or the gallery the gallery's in there of the of the uh the uh service or the gathering is actually what i was looking for uh that is that has thin historical reference and and stability and uh uh foundations uh, relatively speaking as well as it has very small biblical uh foundations it's not wrong. It's a cultural expression of church. Uh, but I just want to kind of walk through really quickly why what we're doing today is also, in fact, even through the New Testament, probably the primary way that Paul is going to set up how people did church. And so just to kind of set up the people are saying like, wait a second. I think about the fact that in the Old Testament, Ezra gathered everyone together and read the book of the law in public. And isn't that similar to a Sunday gathering? And that was like the first preaching moment. Or you talk about uh, the fact that the, uh, uh, the new believers in Acts devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so isn't that clearly they're coming together and learning teaching? Or you talk about uh, Jesus goes into the synagogue in Luke 4 and teaches what was a regular custom for him to go to the synagogue. And so therefore we hear it's a custom for teaching to happen by rabbis in the synagogue. Uh, and then you have Paul uh, rents the hall of Tyrannus to preach the word uh, to the Ephesians. And so he, for months on end, gets that hall and is just preaching and preaching and preaching, uh, having people come to understand what it is to follow Jesus and who Jesus is. 
And so you're like, okay, all of those clearly say, they're clearly contradictory to what you just said, Kenton, that this does not have a robust theological foundation for what we do typically. But let me just address those one by one. First of all, Ezra is a specific instance in that fact that the people of God had completely abandoned the law. Not only abandoned it, they forgot about it. Like it was completely forgotten. And then one day they find it in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And Ezra's like, holy cow. And he, got, he gets everyone together. And now they recommission themselves to the law by reading it so that everyone is now accountable to it. Secondly, when Paul rents the hall of Tyrannus, that is him speaking to Gentile non-believers, it looks probably more like a tent revival or like an evangelism technique than necessarily gathering together with believers on a Sunday gathering. There were believers present, most certainly, but it still was not the idea of like, this is our, our corporate worship gathering together. Then you get um, the believers that are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. That one, it, we're getting a little bit closer to you're like, okay, Kent, you're in trouble. You preach yourself into a corner. Uh, let me try to get out of it. So they did go to the synagogue to hear the apostles teaching. They went on the Sabbath, they went on Sunday, they went every day. It was not necessarily like this was a unique Sunday gathering experience, but in fact, their Sunday gatherings actually would often be something that they would gather together in homes, sometimes every night of the week. I mean, you see that even in Acts too, where it says the people were gathering together daily to break bread and to worship God together. And beyond that, it also goes into the next one, which is where Jesus stands up in the synagogue and teaches and What's going on there is a rich tradition of rabbis teaching because they have a lifelong devotion to studying the scriptures, to making connections, to learning underneath the tutelage of another rabbi and forever continually growing deeper in their knowledge. And so, yes, there was a true benefit to Jews first coming together and have the scriptures expounded by a rabbi, but then eventually Jesus playing the part of a rabbi does that. And then later the apostles continue to do that because they are rabbis, but their rabbi, the one who they discipled under was Jesus himself. And so what they were teaching regularly, what they were going around from town to town, from place to place, teaching on Sundays and throughout every day was this is what has gone on in history. And therefore the Messiah that we've been waiting for, we've no longer need to wait. He is here, he's come, he's died, he's risen again, and now he offers you life in his salvation. And so, again, that's not to say there's no scriptural reference or foundation for what we do typically on a Sunday. I would just say it's actually thinner than what is put forward as the tradition in the early church. For this, uh, I'm going to read really quickly from 1 Corinthians and Colossians. Uh, you don't have to turn there, you can just listen. Um, you can turn there. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11 says this. 1 Corinthians, by the way, is probably the most clear book that is speaking to how do we as believers do a Sunday gathering, do a corporate worship, really. But it's speaking very directly, and therefore it's somewhat authoritative, I think, in how it sets it up. So that's in 12, 4 through 11. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given 
through the message uh, the spirit a message of wisdom to another a message of knowledge by the means of the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of the healing by that one uh, one spirit to another miraculous powers to another prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and still another the interpretation of tongues all these are the work of the one and same spirit and he distributes them to each just as he determines and so that's what Paul first sets up. That's what the church is. That's what the priesthood of all believers is. That's what it means to be filled with the manifestation of the Spirit. I've heard it said that the, the Spirit, what it is, I mean, it's so much things. I mean, we went through a whole series on what the Spirit is and what the Spirit does. But just a small, simple way that you can think of the Spirit is a living, active, personal manifestation of God's love that takes the shape of you and takes the shape of your gifts even at times magnifies or gives gifts that had not been previously privy to you and speaks to encourage the body, to build up everyone, one another, until we all reach full maturity in Christ, growing into him who is the head. Well, you're like, wait a second, Ken. Uh, I feel like you're stealing a base here. Because they just say you should do that. They don't necessarily say that that's what you should do when you come together. Well, let's read 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 27. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, that there be one, uh, only two or three, uh, or two or at most three. And each in turn, and let someone interpret. Quick things to point out. Again, when you gather together, do you use all the gifts that he mentions in 12? Also an important thing, these are non-gendered pronouns. Hey, hey, amen. Um, they're filled with the Spirit now. Uh, either way, these are non-gendered pronouns. Not meaning that there is not gender in the Bible. I heard that argument recently. That's crazy. But what it does mean is this, that it's not saying, hey, all the men, when you come together, you have a teaching, a lesson, a prophecy. Now, it is saying, men, when you come together, you have a teaching, a prophecy, a tongue. But it's not saying specifically to the men. It's saying, men, women, even at this time, they would occasionally have children come forward. As Joel says, your sons and daughters will be filled with prophecy. And so there's no sense. I mean, this is the first truly leveling the playing field of now no longer there is a priest or a prophet or someone or even apostle that uniquely stands. I mean, yes, there were apostles that when they came in, they uniquely stood with special revelation and could authoritatively say, that's wrong, that's right, because they walked with Jesus. But beyond that, this is the first experience of a gathering in which you have all people coming together, all people bringing something, bringing the manifestation of the Spirit in a U-shaped package, not like the letter U, like Y-O-U. So that's what we're doing here. That's the purpose of coming together. I would say what we should do increasingly more regularly in the sense that we find times of corporate encouragement. Because what this would traditionally look like is you would have a house church. You would have the, what they called the love feast or the agape feast, which is always fun to talk about the love feast. For the first several hundred years, the Christians were known for their love feast, which sounds completely immoral. But it wasn't in this context. It was them coming together and sharing the Lord's Supper, breaking the bread, pouring the wine, having oftentimes fish or some other formal meal. And then they would slowly digest food and lean back at the table. And they would start going around. The pastors at the time would then open up the space. 
and say, what has the Spirit been making alive in you? How have you been learning, teaching? What encouragement might you have for us? What word might you have for us? And then the pastor, the pastors, present, typically multiple. Yes, they would be present and they would say, hey, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a word for our church. In fact, I want to apply that specifically just because of the relationships that I have across this congregation. I know what multiple people are doing. I've been taught specifically with a little bit of specialization, but at the same time, I don't stand above you as the one priest. We are now the priesthood of all believers, but let me just take what you said and magnify it because it was your word. It was the spirit through you. Let me just second an amen. Or they would ask questions. They say, when you say that, do you mean this? When you say that, what are you trying to get at here? Because that's not the way that that was passed along to me. Again, it was actually somewhat of a peaceful way to go about it. This is also, I don't have time for that. Forget about that. Another day, another teaching. So, again, we get the, uh, the traditional perspective of this. And just really quickly, you're like, okay, how did we get from there to here which don't mishear me i am not dogging on how we do church here i'm not saying that this is specifically uniquely not the way in fact i think again there's real cultural benefit to it but there is a history to how we got here as well because again for the first several hundred years as jesus ascends gives the spirit to all believers they begin spreading and growing rapidly and as they do they come together in the synagogues they hear teaching they are encouraged and then they go apart and then they have what are the love feasts, and then they will separate usually in small groups, possibly hundreds of house churches, having the feast together, breaking bread, and encouraging one another in the word and in scripture and the spirit. And then, a few hundred years later, Constantine shows up on the scene as the Caesar, and he legalizes Christianity and also makes it the official religion of the, the Roman state. Now, depending on which theologian you read, I would come to favor more the ones that say this was not Constantine having a conversion moment, this was Constantine being political, politically savvy and realizing that he now had over half of the empire who had secretly through house churches become Christians and that this was a tide that was not going to be held back by him, so he might as well get with it. But even so, now you have the legalization and the mass, I mean, not only should Christianity is legal, it's now what you have to celebrate as a Roman, and what you have to believe. And so they build cathedrals upon cathedrals, and they get larger and larger in their masses, and they get bigger rooms. And eventually, in, oh gosh, what is my year? 364 AD, the Council of Laodicea forbids having the love feast in the cathedral. Now, this wasn't just because they were all anti-history and what we had done before. It was because it gets really logistically tough when now you have hundreds or even thousands of people having a love feast. And so they forbade it from the cathedral and said, no, this is only happening in small groups and homes. And then in 692 AD, the Council of Truland bans the love feast altogether. And I know sometimes we're just like, oh, the church is so corrupt. Well, you know, yes, the church is very corrupt, but this is actually not a moment of corruption. This is also a moment where they're trying to do something both pastorally and theologically beneficial. Pastorally because, I mean, Jesus was kind of known with eating with sinners and tax collectors and troubled people and people who did not have a background in practicing righteousness. And Jesus also had no stuff. He wasn't too worried that people were going to steal from him. Now they're meeting in homes, 
across the city, some people do have stuff and they are getting stolen from, or they're getting people coming in and saying, hey, I'm doing this mission, would you give to my mission, and creating false missions for people to give to. Secondly, it gets a little bit theologically wonky when you have every single person kind of like being like, well, I heard that this means that this means that this means that this means that this is what we're doing right here. And eventually Plato and Platonic thought works its way in and all of a sudden we get what is no longer worshiping and breaking the body and, and, and drinking from the cup, but we get a symbol of a symbol of a symbol representing the ideal in another spiritual plane, which there's all sorts of like, eh, there's parts of that that work and parts of that that don't. And so then you get from that moment, the love feast never enters again to the church, at least not in the cathedral. And you lose the moment of everyone gathering together, not completely, you still have what we would call missional communities, what other people would call small groups, of people encouraging one another, of there being a true democratization of the Spirit of God. But that also used to happen here. And so I'm not, we're not going to do this every single week from here on out. But I do want to do it increasingly more. At least find times when we're in the midst of a series, like we are right now, taking a pause in Daniel and saying, hey, we just did half the book and it was all about narrative. Now we're going to do the second half and it's all about prophecy. But what? Let's just pause. Let's take a Selah, as would be in the Hebrew and many times in the Psalms, just to say, let's stop, let's pause, let's reflect, let's breathe. And allow not just another day where you come and ingest more content or more thoughts or more Greek verbiage or Hebrew verbiage in this case or Aramaic. But let's... I often have heard and I often echo. I don't really need to learn more things about following Jesus. I need to apply the things I already know. And so this is just the time to sit, to reflect, to apply that which we already know, to encourage. I, I, we're going to, again, pass the mic. If you can speak without the mic, that's fine. Just do speak loud. Don't be like, oh, I got this. And then it turns out you don't got this. In fact, we will be lovingly say, hey, you don't got this. And, uh, and, and that is now becoming a tongue just for you. And we need an interpreter, which is the microphone. And, uh, but if you want to speak loudly, that's totally fine. I get that some people are like, I don't want to speak on a mic. Well, if that's going to prohibit you from speaking completely, then I don't care. Speak, speak softly. Uh, allow the other six people in your media radius, ra uh, radius to spread the good news after the service. But otherwise, come, not come actually, we're not going to ask you to come up. We're going to just ask you to, to sit or stand where you are and speak a word. I'm going to be walking around with a mic. I'm going to be passing it around if you need it. Just give me an indication. Or if not, just stand. Um, and I'm also going to give just some time. Like, if there's times where, like, oh, man, the energy is dropping, and, oh, this isn't really consumable as a product, I'm fine with that. I'm fine if we just sit in silence a little bit. I'm fine if we give the spirit space to move. This isn't podcasting. This isn't going to continue on YouTube in perpetuity. This is just to allow the spirit to move in this moment through you, the priesthood of all believers. Let me pray, and we'll begin. Father God, Lord, I pray for your spirit to be present, your spirit to be directing. Lord, again, allow us not to do what is probably most culturally ingrained in us, which is to cringe at silence and gaps, but rather just allow your spirit to be present and working and moving. And Lord, if we are tripping over ourselves to speak because you are moving so powerfully within one another, praise God. 
and allow them to be reflections of who you are. Lord, I pray for wise discernment for those who are attempting to right now hear the Spirit speak or maybe have been listening this month as we've been talking about this, just saying, what are you teaching me through Scripture? What are you teaching me in prayer? What are you teaching me in my moments of just commuting and being alive to the Spirit? Because, Lord, there is a spiritual act of turning towards you that Brother Lawrence practiced. And, Lord, I pray that we would also adopt as a people that find us doing life alongside with you. And so, speak. Allow there to be what, what is not of you to fall away. What is of you to be ultimately magnified. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quick. As you do this, you're like, how do I know if the Spirit spoke to me or not? Your eyes will glow and your hair will raise up because you're in a windstorm. But if that doesn't happen, because typically it does not, you just get an impression. You receive a hunch. You receive a moment that just says, I feel like this person needs to know this, or I feel like my MC has been talking about this, and I will have something that I feel like would encourage them and maybe it would encourage far more than just them i've been reading this in scripture and it just feels like it's apt for this moment for our church and our body and it can be very normal you can sit down and allow the spirit then to interpret it in our souls to allow what is true and of the spirit to intensify and magnify and what is not of him to, to fall away don't worry you cannot <laughs> mess up in a way that the spirit is just like, I didn't see that one coming.